welcome to What Do You Think? And I'm exhausted from all the superhero movies. <laughs> and I'm certifiably insane from these superhero movies. <sighs> no, it's, no, it, it's it, C. It, yeah, and I'm, I'm Al, and uh, this is our uh, Quantum Mania review. Kill me now. No, listen. listen no, 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 I, no. I Listen, I'm not... Everyone talks about either superhero fatigue or Marvel fatigue. I'm not fatigued. I'm just a little confused. I'm... Here's my thing with it. I'm just like, man, there's a lot of, like, filler now. Like, more yeah, than ever. Yeah, yeah, There's more filler than ever where it's like, really? And you know what made me notice it more, honestly, were the Disney Plus shows, actually. It's like, man, all this, and now the movies, and now this. And I'm like, I, I don't know how much more I can take. And it's like, it's like, you know what it is? Imagine you're going home for Thanksgiving and you realize all you're being all that's being served on like multiple trays is just stuffing. Yeah. Like it's it's good. We like stuffing. I like stuffing. But like you only get the whole turkey for every Avengers movie now. So it's like I'm just eating stuffing and I'm eating different recipes of stuffing. And some of them are certainly better than others, but at the end of the day, it's still stuffing. It's like, yeah, all, all right, geez. You're like, you're like, listen, I love stuffing. I don't really like that stuffing with raisins. And that stuffing with apples is kind of weird. Yeah. And Sam Raimi made a stuffing with some eyeballs in it. I don't know why, but okay. Oh, and that stuffing's literally just from the box. Like, I'm, I'm shocked that, that <laughs> they were... They were like confident enough to just give you box stuffing. Um, like what? Uh, it's just. And then when we when we get some gravy, we're like, "That was amazing!" <laughs> like it, they've tricked us. It's yeah. like they give us a little gravy. You're like, "Oh my god, something!" Yeah, something. No, I uh, <sighs> uh, see. Like, how do I put this? So I saw this with a very very good friend of mine and with our respective partners. Mm. And when we both left, like. Like, my partner was like, eh, it's fine, it's whatever. His partner was like, oh, I love Paul Rudd. He's so funny. But me <laughs> me and my friend, we were just like, we just went, that was a, a lot of varying levels of CGI. I was like, yeah, I know, right? And, and then we got quiet and we were like, he was like, who was that Kang guy though? And I said, Oh, this this is this actor who's like really rising up the ranks. Uh, Jonathan Majors. Uh, he was in Devotion. Uh, he's going to be the bad guy in Creed Three that's coming up. He was in an mm. HBO show that I I watched and I wasn't into, uh, but you might like it. That was kind of like his big big leading. That was like his big breakout. That was his but big it, moment. Yeah. That was his big moment. But like the film that kind of introduced him to people was like this indie film about San Francisco. And, you know, we had a conversation about that. And then it just kind of hit me that it was like, oh, Jonathan Majors is the only thing that he and I have been talking about. And we're both like <laughs> people who who work like like our girlfriends were basically like said one one thing about the movie and then just dropped it. And they talked about something else. And the only thing we were talking about, and you know, we're like quote unquote cinephiles, was just Jonathan Majors. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, I thought to myself, you know, it's, it says something that, you know, it says something of, of a movie, of a superhero movie, that you're not talking about the hero, you're not talking about the set pieces, 
you're not even talking about this bad guy who's supposed to be the quote unquote next Thanos. Thanos. You're talking about the actor who played him because you know he he's a he's an he's a great actor. We mm-hmm. were just talking about the actor. You know, like when when um when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, when that was the first true in- introduction to Thanos, uh, people weren't talking about. Josh Brolin. Well, first of all, because you know, I don't think a lot of people realize that was Josh Brolin. Yeah, because he was uh, just a voice in some CGI. Yeah, they were like talking about like, oh, dude, that's that a uh, that's that guy in the Avengers who popped up like at the post credit scene, like, and is really cool. Gamora and Nebula are are his daughters. Blah 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 blah. Uh, like, like Gar- One of the big talking po- like Guardians of the Galaxy had a lot of talking points that people were like really excited about. Like, oh, wow, Chris Pratt's actually a really good action star. Uh, uh, Rocket Raccoon and Groot are now, like, A-list superhero characters. Yep. Um, like, Dave Bautista actually can act. Yeah. And that that reputation just grew and grew. But one of the other talking was like, wow, that Thanos guy, he, he seems like a bad news. Like, how are the Avengers going to deal with him? Mm-hmm. And that just grew and grew. And again, fa- flash forward to... To this and me and my friend were just talking about like Jonathan Majors and like how his career's going. Yeah. It was a different kind of conversation about a villain. Yeah, like honestly, all the all the story elements of Ant Man and the Wasp Quantumania were not discussed, were not brought up. And I think that just kind of shows you what's happening with the current uh uh Marvel Cinematic Universe or its current iteration mm-hmm. is that I th- I think uh, I don't know see if you'll agree with me I think because you know I, I don't know if this is the official title but uh, so the first three phases of Marvel have kind of been labeled as the Infinity Saga mm. and see and phases four and five and six They've been called the multiversal saga. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is official or not, but it's definitely what I see on the internet. And something I realize when it comes to these this multiversal saga is just that there's not really anything concrete flowing through these movies, like except that in now th- three movies in a TV show, mm-hmm. uh, the multiverse has been brought up as a plot point. Yeah, well, I think what what you have to understand is... Multiverse and time travel. Yes, but really multiverse. And, and that's really it. The only other plot point that's been brought up is that uh, Shang-Chi's rings and uh, Miss Marvel's bangles are, are tech that has never been seen before. That's the only other plot point that's been brought up throughout phases four and five. Wow. And nothing else. Nothing nothing else that I can think of. Well, that's the thing. So you get the multiverse. And what's amazing is we're it's Marvel isn't the only wasn't the only thing doing movies about the multiverse as of as of this year, which who would have thought that the other movie would have been doing so well. But hey, you know, we'll talk about that in our uh post Oscars episode. Um I think what's happened is when you suddenly say, okay, it's the multiverse. Everything is possible. We can do anything. 
what I hoped would happen was we can do anything so we really can get crazy and weird and creative and fun with the mix-ups and mash-ups of all these superheroes that we haven't seen before. And we got a taste of it for one of the movies, but just a tiny taste of the possibilities. And then it was snuffed out real fast. That was it. Or, sorry, no, two movies, sorry. There were two movies that gave us a, a good taste of that, like what we could expect. But then the other movies were like, meh, you know, multiverse, you know, let's just do whatever with it. And so what happened is, other than a, a select few movies that really showed the potential of it, a lot of them just either pretended the multiverse wasn't a thing, or used it but in a really lazy way which really i didn't think you could do that but instead it was the multiverse of plot devices oh there's a problem with the plot multiverse there's a problem with this character arc multiverse it's like that's not the way i was hoping they'd use it but it seems to be used it being used it seems like it's being used in that way which is disappointing yeah i it's just i i don't know um so of of the of these four projects we've talked about, um, mm -hmm. well, ha have you seen She-Hulk? No. So She-Hulk isn't explicitly about the multiverse, but it is breaking the fourth wall. So mm -hmm. I, I I don't know if they're gonna try to tie that into the multiverse or not. So that's why I didn't include it when I first brought up my theory. But so out of these four projects, uh. Two of them have been have been written by Michael Waldron, who was a former writer for Rick and Morty. And mm -hmm. the latest one, Quantumania, was written by jo uh, Jeff Loveness, who was also a Rick and Morty writer. I don't know if he was on Rick and Morty at the same time as Michael Waldron. Um, and then uh, the the fourth the the fourth one and kind of the first. Was it the first? Um, no, probably the second. The. But it also the most successful of these multi of these explicitly multiversal movies, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home, were written by uh, by uh, the the community writers and also uh, the ones who wrote all of the spider all of the MCU Spider-Mans and the 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 second Ant-Man movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, Eric mm -hmm. Summers and Chris McKenna. Uh, they were on they were on uh, Community which famously had like a couple episodes about the multiverse. Mm -hmm. um, so you got these, these two Rick and Morty writers and they're not they're The stuff they've written has not been as well received. And then you get these two, these two community writers who that's I, so weird. It's two people from, from two different shows that were created or at least co-created by the same person. Yeah. That's Dan Harmon. Yeah. And uh and they're like and, and like their movie is like is super well received. I don't know if it's because of I don't know if it's because of their uh uh like I, I don't know if it's, if it's because of the of the talent with their uh with with their writing or just because like No Way Home had cameos that we actually cared about. Exactly. Um, cause even we've acknowledged that like at the end of the day, no way home as a story was just very okay, but it was the cameos that made us nearly cry. Well, not like, even, okay. You know what? Uh, cameo is not the right word. 
the oh, supporting yeah. cast, mm-hmm. like the, the they weren't cameos. They were they were like fully fledged supporting cast that quite frankly that that quite frankly like got people really invested in in these characters. Like like guys, spoiler alert. Uh, Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield are in No Way Home. Yeah. Um, and they're not in there for like a scene and that's it, which, which <laughs> I run like half the movie. Yeah. They're, they're like, they're like supporting cast. They're, they're supporting cast. And, you know, the main bad guys are Willem Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Jamie Foxx. Legend. They're 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 legends. They're, they're, they're like, the main literal literal legends as villains. Like, come on. Like, like literally, literally, No Way Home had had the multiverse and actually took advantage of it by bringing these characters over that we grew up with, and not just having them for a scene, but actually like having them interact with Tom Holland and his crew. You know, having them interact with each other after years and years of you know them not playing those roles and it was very successful i i don't know if i've said it on this podcast but when i saw no way home there was a couple on my right and literally when when toby toby mcguire is giving tom holland his pep talk the girlfriend was crying mm-hmm. and i was like i was like well yes yeah, she probably grew up with toby mcguire as her, as her spider-man and seeing him do the very literal passing of the torch like that probably got to her. Yeah. And and it's interesting that that these two writers from community were able to create this and this by far made the most money. Mm-hmm. And then you have these two guys from Rick and Morty and listen, the more that, science fiction leaning show too. Listen, which is crazy. I, I I I won't say like, oh, Loki wasn't a success. I I think it's probably was like one of the bigger Disney Plus shows. Um, but yeah. I think that's totally off the fact that that Tom Hiddleston is really, really good as Loki, like really good. He makes the show work. Truly. Yeah. Like he makes it work because I think everyone agrees the best Marvel Disney Plus show is WandaVision. I think do people generally agree with that? Is that the agreement? Uh, well, that the well, consensus? well, I've I've heard, Marvel shows. I've heard I've heard people like. I've I've heard people uh, um, kind of not like Wandavision. I loved Wandavision. No, Wandavision but, was amazing. But I'll, go on, sorry. But but people have said that like the best show is either Loki, Wandavision, and really hardcore fans would say like, oh, it's it's She Hulk. But She Hulk mm. is like the most divisive show. Yeah. Although, well, actually, isn't um. Well, but actually, everyone. Ms. I thought Miss Marvel was the most divisive show. Well, Miss Marvel was the most divisive show until She-Hulk came out. Oh, great! Um, but what? Uh, what was I gonna? The, you know what? Pe- people haven't given a chance that is actually. I'm not gonna say it's the greatest one out there, but it's it's fun. Is uh, what if? That's actually a fun one. I enjoy it. Um, but you know, Hawkeye is actually is actually a lot of fun. It it and it doesn't go beyond of what it's supposed to do. Okay. But um but anyway, kinda of, kinda of going back to these multiversal shows. Uh Loki Loki I think works because of the strength of, of its of its lead. But definitely uh Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. The multiversal aspect is kinda of the one of the less interesting things about it. Yeah. 
like really and truly the most interesting thing about it is kind of uh scarlet witch's obsession Sh- with trying to be a mother again and dr yeah. strange is Do- dr strange really is kind of a non-entity in his own sequel yeah uh, well the, well like we said in our in our review it said that was a great scarlet witch movie <laughs> like, really yeah, it, it, which is weird because sam raimi has said that his two favorite superheroes of all time were spider-man and dr strange and it just mm. like watching Multiverse of Madness, I'd be like, no, your favorite Marvel hero is Wanda because you're doing really interesting stuff with her character. She's yeah. a villain. She's the villain. But you're doing really interesting stuff. And Doctor Strange is kind of there just to react. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, that being said, kind of, you know, we, we we talked about this in our in our Multiverse of Madness review. But the the multiverse aspect of Multiverse of Madness was kind of one of the lesser things about it. like it, it was like it was kind of like window dressing it, it was i was about to say it was the backdrop i agree yeah, it, it was the backdrop like like it just was there just to have uh uh john krasinski cameo as reed richards and and uh, have um have professor uh, x yeah have patrick sewer back as professor x yeah and that was it now um now let's kind of circle this back to Ant-Man and we'll talk about Ant-Man for a bit before we get into our review proper. Yeah. When I heard that Kang was going to be the villain in Ant-Man, my first thought was, okay, I guess, I guess Ant-Man is stealing from the Avengers because the Avengers stole Ant-Man's most famous villain, uh, Ultron. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I, I guess it's fair. But the thing that the thing the other thing I thought was like it's kind of weird that Ant-Man's going to be the one introducing Kang because up until now Ant-Man But he didn't really if you remember. Well yeah, well yeah, I was going to get to that. Okay, but sorry. What was weird was like the last two Ant-Man movies were very very small scale. Yes. Like like even smaller scale you could say than than the Spider-Man movies. But the that's MCU. what made but that's what made them work. Yeah, because the whole the whole shtick of Ant Man is that oh you're gonna see things that are normally small really big that happened in the sequel, and in the first one it was like you're gonna see very small you're gonna see very big or you're gonna see small things big, or, or mm-hmm. you're gonna see you're gonna see tiny tiny things Made really huge. really really big right mm-hmm. that was the whole shtick in the in the first one, and you're like okay that works you know you don't spend that much money on this movie. But you cast a really charismatic guy like Paul Rudd, and you have like a you have a very strong heart in your movie. In this case, this is a criminal who wants to do right by his daughter, and it works, right? It works. Uh, so, you know, when when it was like uh, Kang's gonna be in it and they're gonna be in the quantum realm, I was like, well, you kind of take away the thing that makes Ant Man Ant Man. You know, he's he, he when he's small, small things are big. Right. And then he can make small things big and then he can make big things small when he's big. So mm-hmm. whoa, whoa, how's this going to work? Right. Yeah. And then obviously Loki comes out and we, we get introduced at the very last episode to he who remains, who is like a variant of Kang, who who was stopping the multiverse from existing. Uh, you know, then they deal with him and the multiverse, the, the potential of the multiverse starts to happen. And, you know, then, you know. Uh, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home comes out, Multiverse of Madness comes out, and we get no taste of Kang, which I found interesting. 
Like, the multiverse gets mentioned over and over again, and we're introduced to, like, the Illuminati who who are, like, these heroes who oversee the, who, like, help protect the multiverse, if I'm not mistaken, but mm-hmm. no mention of Kang whatsoever. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. I can understand in Spider-Man because it's all about Spider-Man and his variants, but, like, when Doctor Strange goes through the multiverse, no one mentions Kang? Okay, whatever. And then finally now we get introduced to, K- to like, Kang the Conqueror, mm-hmm. right? And I don't know. I, it's just so weird to me because he's, you know, introduced as he should be as this, as this guy who conquers universes and timelines and what have you. But and now we're supposed to believe that Ant-Man himself can take him on or, or, or at least that's the setup. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Which you I, don't I, buy. Yeah, you don't buy. And I think and I'll get into more detail later on in my review. But I, I don't think Ant-Man was the right hero to do to, this, to do that, to, to introduce to, to introduce the hero side of Marvel to Kang. Mm-hmm. Kang would have worked in Multiverse of Madness. No, that's what I was expecting. I was well, no, but I was expecting, I was expecting a hint to be dropped of him at the end of Multiverse of Madness, and then I was honestly hoping he would be brought up in. Like I thought they were going to do the same thing where it was going to be every single end credit scene of all the movies was going to be exclusively Kang referenced specifically. See, even that would have worked. It's like, like, okay, yeah, keep him, have, and like, not just like reference him by name, but literally every one of them, he's in it in a scene. Like he has his own scene. Like that would have been very good. It's like, okay, that's a way to build him up. But this was just. And, and I think mm. ultimately using Ant-Man to introduce Kang proper, Kang of the Conqueror proper. I think you took away the ability for Ant-Man to work in the realm that I work best in these no pun intended, these small-scale stories told in San Francisco. Uh, they're not world-ending. Um, it's just about, you know, beating these corrupt corporation bad guys mm. or beating this organized crime uh, or, or you know, doing something that involved pin particles being misused. So I, I, for the record, genuinely in, thought Ant-Man and the Wasp was really... I'm not saying it's, like, one of the greatest superhero movies ever made, but of the Ant-Man movies... That was really that one really stood out to me. There was that dynamic really worked. Yeah, you know, and I I think it also helped that you had like Michael Douglas playing um, playing Hank Pym and kind of mentoring Scott. Mm-hmm. You had Scott be, trying to be a good dad to his daughter Cassie. Uh, you know, you had the the romance between uh, uh, Scott and Hope. Uh, you know, and then you had Janet coming back in the second one. All that worked, and it worked that you know it wasn't like we have to stop the this world ending. You know, end of the world situations works for heroes like Doctor Strange because he's the uh, Sorcerer Supreme of the Earth. Mm-hmm. It works for Thor because he's you know a living god. Um, it doesn't really work for he- It doesn't even work for heroes like Captain America or 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 Iron Man, right? Because mm-hmm. You know, Iron Man in his three movies, all his villains were were corrupt corporate people. People, yeah, they were all, except for when he was involved in the Avengers. Then it was exactly. then it was different. world world ending stuff. And then with yeah. Captain America, all his stuff was with government conspiracies. Yeah, which which again th- that's fine. You know, 
not even not even Black Panther dealt with end of the world stuff, and he's arguably the 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 new well, he was the hero that was making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, all all the Black Panther movies have dealt with threats to Wakanda, right? Mm-hmm. Spider Man, Spider Man, the only the only reason he had a world ending situation in his most recent movie was because uh, Doctor Strange was involved. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and see what that movie. That's the thing. I was really hoping we would get more blends in that way, where you'd have more heroes involved in the storylines of another hero's movie. But we haven't gotten that as much as I would think, which is yeah. really disappointing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, how's about we watch the trailer for Quantum Mania, mm-hmm. and then uh, we're going to give our our review proper to the movie. Let's do it. I used to ask myself a lot of questions. Scott, you're at ex-con. How are you an Avenger? That doesn't make sense. But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing. Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but Quanta. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm. Turn it off. Now! convinced because at the end of the at the end of the trailer for the viewers who couldn't see it at the end of the trailer it goes ant-man and the wasp and then quantum mania goes over that text really really obvious like blatantly over that text it goes it goes quantum mania i'm convinced they just wanted to make a movie about the quantum realm but because they still haven't introduced the fantastic four yet they were like Mm. well (laughs) shit who can we like who can we use to introduce the to talk about the quantum realm, well, technically, technically, Ant-Man we had, could work. 
We we had Ant Man introduce it in his second movie. All right, all right, all right. We're we're gonna do that then. We're gonna do that then. Um. Mm-hmm. So. See, I'll 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 let you start first. Sure. Uh, what were your immediate thoughts after you you saw the movie? Jonathan Majors did a great job. That was honestly my immediate thought, um, because okay. So I went to this. I, I saw this movie by myself. It was just the only. I went after work one day just to catch it. Only way I could make it work. And I sit down in a theater that isn't that crowded. In the theater next to me, fun fact, Creed Three was playing. So that was almost that was almost a weird multiverse experience for a second. Honestly, to have Jonathan Majors playing in a movie next to mine, but seeing a different movie with him in it. Obviously, that's not the first time it's happened, but to have it right next door was kind of interesting. Seeing the actual movie, honestly, I... It was just not exciting. And, like, they literally went to the quantum realm. Like, literally, they did... They pulled a... um, Not Fantastic Voyage. What's the famous book where they shrink down to a small size and go inside a person's body? That's Uh, the Fantastic Voyage. Yeah, I got it right. Fantastic Voyage. They literally do a Fantastic Voyage thing, like which is always something I thought would really work well with the Ant-Man. With Ant-Man, so I'm like, okay, this can work. But you're down here, and it's like this looks like shit I've already seen with really egregious CGI mixed with really good CGI, which was very uh, disconcerting at times. Um, I'll put it this way. So you remember how there's that big sort of fight before they all meet uh, Kang the first time? Like, by those houses that are alive and all that? Yeah. I was nodding off during that whole bit. And it was an action sequence. And I was nodding off. So, like, I don't know what they did wrong there, but I'm like, oh, I know this is supposed to be exciting, but this seems very by the numbers. And you know what it was? It's because the movie spent a long time not really getting to Kang, which meant I knew in the back of my mind that everything I'm watching right now didn't doesn't really matter that much. Like, this isn't that important. Like, this isn't that big of a deal. Like, it's, the cameos are fun that we see, but it's like, we're just waiting to get to the villain, and you're really, with the exception of one early scene we, we are given, we really, well, two early scenes, we're, we're given such a delay on the villain uh, that, is, that most Marvel movies don't do, and it was just a really weird choice, um, and an unnecessary one at that. That being, uh, what were you saying? Uh... So I, I, okay. My, my, my thoughts can be summed up to this. The first two movies, because Ant-Man's main power is that he can shrink and and he can grow because in the comic, so in the comic books, Hank Pym almost exclusively shrinks to the size of an ant because, you know, he's fascinated by ants. First and foremost, he's fascinated Mm -hmm. by ants. But <laughs> this is kind of funny. He gets he literally develops an inferiority complex because people kind of call his powers lame that he 
literally like inverts inverts pin particles so that he gets really really big right mm -hmm. to to deal with his inferiority complex right mm -hmm. so ant-man's primary power is that he can shrink but and this is the quote-unquote cool way to do it but that he can grow now mm -hmm. the first two movies in order to properly present visualize how like how like normal everyday objects would look to a man the size of an ant, they use these really cool microscope type lenses on the camera in order to capture the plates for the scenes where Ant-Man was going to be tiny. Mm -hmm. Because they're like, hey, Ant-Man's primary power is that he shrinks to the size of an ant, right? Obviously he can turn he can turn into a giant when, when, when he needs to fight like crazy Avenger levels threat, but primarily he's Ant-Man. See, you know what they didn't use in this movie? That lens or those they lenses? Did, they did not use the, the, micro, the, the microscope lens that was used in the previous two movies because they were like, man, f fuck that Ant-Man bullshit. We're, we're, all, we're, we're, we're just here to set up... Uh, we're just here to set up uh, 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 the Avengers movies involving Kang. Because they didn't even shrink down. They were just sucked in, and that confirmed when they... Spoiler alert, they make it out. What a surprise. They, uh, they, they walk out normal-sized, and I'm like, oh, fuck that. So, right. so here's, the, here's, the, here's the thing that bugs me, right? Peyton Reed apparently really cares about the the character of Ant Man. No, he doesn't. Really? Well, okay, okay. Well, no, well, I know, I know, I know. I know. He, I'm sorry. I mean, you know, he made a big stink that he when 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 he was told that Ant Man was going to be in Civil War, he's like, oh, they're taking my baby away. I hope they treat him right because you know whatever happens to him in this one, I'm going to have to deal with for for Ant Man and the Wasp. Blah 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 blah. Like like really cared about the integrity of the character. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what happened to that respect for the character? Because I and I know you might say this is such a weird nitpick. There is never a scene where we have Scott shrunk as an ant seeing things from that perspective like we did in the previous two movies. Right. Mm -hmm. We get they shrink. We see them tiny on the ground. They punch somebody and they get big. They, they get back to normal size really quick. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's when it hit me that I'm like. This was this really isn't about Ant Man. They just were like, we we got to introduce Kang, and, and we need to introduce him now. And I, I guess because I guess because uh, Ant Man and the Wasp introduced the quantum realm, they were like, okay, uh, we'll do that because in 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 Endgame, the quantum realm is somehow the way to time travel, and Kang is a time traveler, so that's how we're gonna do it. Okay, I guess. Sure. Um, sure. Fine. And, and then you're like, okay, well, this is about Kang. And like you said, he doesn't appear until, what, 30, 40 minutes into the movie? It takes a while for him to pop up. Like, and even yeah. then, he, he, he obviously, he pops up in, like, the first couple of scenes. Then he has one line, and we cut to Scott. Mm -hmm. And then, like, a good act later, we're finally introduced to him in a flashback. A good one, I might add. It's but. a good flashback. Yeah. And then, like, ten minutes after that, we finally meet Kang in the present day. Finally. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, this is all about Kang. And you're, and as of right now, you're just doing a lot of talking about them. And listen, I get it. You're like, well, he was introduced in the flashback. Yes. 
but the whole point of your movie is to have your is to have your cast, you know, have conflict with your villain. And it just felt like they just kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And then it happens. And then Kang goes like, I need you to steal something from me or not steal. He goes like, I need you to retrieve something from me. And then after he gets the thing, they have a fight and then the movie ends. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm really simplifying it, but it's like, yeah, but it's what happened. It's like, you're like, okay, so was this entire movie? Cause you're like, well, King doesn't really get developed. You know, he gets some, he, we, we learned some stuff about him in the flashback and we learned more in Loki. Honestly. Yeah, we, we did. We learned more about him in Loki than we did in this. In fact, I was literally applying my knowledge that I gained from watching that show to this. I'm like, okay, this is informing these decisions on his end. But for anyone that didn't, too bad, I guess. And the thing is, is like, I guess they wanted to still keep Mystique around the character of Kang. And that's fine. That's- but there's there's a limit to that. Okay, that that's fine. But then, you know, if there's just going to be smoke and mirrors, okay. They kept Mystique around Thanos because... Thanos wasn't the main villain of any movie. He was introducing Guardians of the Galaxy. He technically was the big bad of Guardians of the Galaxy because uh, Ronan the Accuser only stole the Power Stone because Thanos told him to. Mm-hmm. Um, but Thanos was never the main villain for the Guardians of the Galaxy to fight. Mm-hmm. So he didn't need to have character development. Ronan did. Ronan and Nebula did. And... My thing is, it's like, okay, introduce Kang, but if you're going to still keep this air of mystique around him where there's going to be these unanswered questions and you don't really know what his motivations are or, or why he has certain motivations, why don't you have a different Ant-Man villain? And then it hit me. It's like, oh, because Ant-Man has no villains that deal with the quantum realm, right? They just were like, okay, we need to introduce Kang. The, the closest hero we got to introduce him is Ant-Man. So Ant-Man, I'm like, Throughout this entire movie, I'm like, I love what Jonathan Majors is doing, but I know next to nothing about his character. Um, like you said, I, I know more about his character in Loki than I do about him in, in mm-hmm. Quantum Mania. Because in the flashback, they could have had him get personal, but instead he, he does a great job, but he's just listening to what the other person's saying. Yeah, he basically goes like, he basically alludes that he, he has to be Kang to save the world, but he never clarifies over what's going on. So then, like, so, so basically, when Janet was in the trapped in the quantum realm for all those years, which okay, here's a here's another problem I have, and th- this is a nitpick, right? This is this is very much a nitpick. So time doesn't work the same way it does in the quantum realm as it does in the real world. Uh, in Endgame. Scott says that he was, it felt like he was trapped in the quantum realm for like, a, like, like that he was trapped in there for like, like two or three weeks, five weeks. I think mm-hmm. it was longer. Than, it was longer than a week is mm-hmm. what he, what he says it felt like. But when he finally got out, it's been, it'd been five years, right? Yeah. So, in so the then Ant- when they get out, well, go on, sorry. So in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Obviously, Janet Van Dyne is as is, you know, around the same age as Hank Pym. And she'd been trapped in the quantum realm for for 30 years. It looked like she'd aged 30 years. Yeah. Right. 
So then you're so when Endgame came around, the first thing that went through my mind is like, is like, okay, then why is why is Janet significantly older? It would have made more sense that when she got out, she goes like, oh, it only felt like, it only felt like I was in there for a couple months mm-hmm. instead of thirty years. Mm-hmm. That would have been an interesting way to. That would have been an interesting thing to do. With and Janet. you can even you can even have her age and be like, oh, but she's she was still. I don't know. Never mind. But I know what you're saying. Anyway, right, right. So, so that was kind of the one thing that bothered me about about Endgame. I'm like, I'm like, well, it kind of doesn't make sense because Janet obviously aged thirty years. And then here, we're 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 shown that that again that oh no, in the quantum realm, you ate the same amount. It's it's a one to one ratio. The amount Mm -hmm. of time that passes in the quantum realm is the same that passes in the real world. Again, this is and this is what I was saying earlier that what Marvel is they're doing the worst thing with the multiverse, which is just plot device that's what they're using it for and that's a huge they, problem they, I, and i know they can say there are no rules but then you're like well technically the quantum realm isn't the multiverse it's like like between the universes or something like that and even then it doesn't make sense but mm. but okay that is a nitpick of mine that is a nitpick of mine but anyway so while janet was in the quantum realm which she kane crash landed in there and because he goes like hey i'm a time traveler because i travel through time I would be able to take you back to the moment you shrunk into the quantum realm so that you never lose a day with, with hope. And she's like, okay, great. Right. And then, you know, she finds out that, and and for the dumbest reason. So, so through the most convenient plot device ever where I touched something and I looked into their brain, right. Which you're like, okay, I guess I get, if you're telling me that's how it works, that's how it works. She's like, oh no, Kang is a bad dude. And, and, <laughs> and she goes like, why are you a bad dude? Because I have to be. And you're like, okay, that tells me nothing. That, that tells me nothing. About, it tells me that you do bad things, but I, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Should I be intrigued? Should, should I hate you? Do you want me to kind well, of be a- I think I think if she sees any, it's like that moment in Rick and Morty where they look and uh, they discover what the cat has done. It's like you see all these horrible things happening. You're gonna have an emotional reaction to no, it. No, uh, no, I, I, I listen. I, I, I think, I think using that in order to to move the plot along can be lazy. My, but my bigger problem is is that we're just we're just told very. We're not given anything concrete about Kang. Mm-hmm. We're not given anything concrete about him. But listen, Jonathan Majors is selling it. You're like, wow, this is, I, I really believe his acting, but I'm not really, I'm not getting much characterization, right? And that's pretty much his whole thing throughout this entire movie. He's very mysterious. There's a mystique about him. Like, we don't even know, like, if this is going to be the, if this is the Kang that's, that's going to be the main bad guy Kang, right? Yeah. Like, like, like at the very end, the movie throws us a curveball to be like, was that the the Kang that the Avengers are gonna fight? We don't know. We no, no. Actually, we don't know. It's like we don't know. Like, and and I was like, I was like, well, well, shit. Like, you already introduced us to this concept that there's multiple Kangs. That that Loki did that, and it did it better with like with like a. A one twelfth of the amount of time that we had Kang in this in this movie. I think I think 
one thing I got to say is I think Marvel slash Disney simultaneously hoped people would watch their Disney Plus shows while simultaneously having little faith that I, they actually would. It, it's weird to say, but it's like you they would include these little references in all their movies of, of any of the other shows that they did, but like not enough to actually make sure they didn't like over fucking explain it for people who actually did watch the shows. You know what I mean? Or at yeah. least just cover the exact same ground. Yeah. It's like, well, no, wait a minute. You either have faith in us as fans or you don't. Either way, you can't have can't have your cake and eat it too. But they're trying to. Okay, here's 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 the here's the thing. John the Majors is a great actor. He's becoming one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. Like like I really I really like him. In everything I've seen him in, I'm always like he's doing great stuff. He's doing really really great stuff. And he played this role in a very interesting way. I liked it. To be yeah, clear, I liked it. I, I liked I liked how he. Played it wasn't the role. just. It wasn't just. I'm saying blue because. In the comics, Kane the Conqueror's blue. It's like he's not—he wasn't just blue Thanos. It was like no, he's—he's he's an intellectual in a way. My problem is is that, uh, that my problem is is that Marvel Disney is playing him so close to their chest. Like, like, listen, what made Thanos? Listen, it wasn't just that there was a mystique around Thanos. Is that we also knew we were looking at the same guy. Mm-hmm. We did not get a variant of Thanos until Endgame, and and even then that was that was meant to be like a curveball. Like we were like, we we're like, what the fuck? Thanos is dead. What were all those trailers then for? And then we realized, oh, this is 2014 Thanos. Okay, that's crazy. Uh, and it it ran the risk of not working, but ultimately it ended up working. Oh. Now, now, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that. And we're not going to say how, but Marvel Disney really, really wants you to know that, man, there are so many Kangs. They really <laughs> want you to know that. Yeah. And the problem is, is that you're like, so, so if I'm just looking at like a quote unquote mob of Kangs, who am I supposed to, who am I supposed to focus on? Right. Mm-hmm. Who, who's, who's the focus on? If it's not he who remains in Loki, and if it doesn't seem to be the Kang in Quantumania, and, you know, we, like, like it feels, did it feel like to you they're intentionally trying to confuse you over, over, over the nature of Kang? Because, yeah. like, in, in, in the comics, in the comics, there is a specific Kang that is the enemy of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. There's a specific Kang. This is, this is Nathaniel Richards, who is the descendant of Reed Richards, and he discovers time travel he travels to ancient Egypt to become a pharaoh because he has advanced technology, and he's introduced in an issue of Fantastic Four. Because mm-hmm. they're like, they're like, there was this pharaoh in the past who was almost like a god. They they time travel and they realize, holy shit, this pharaoh is a time traveler. They beat him up, and then the big twist at the end of the issue is that like, I'm your descendant, Reed, and they're like, holy shit, uh, and then he disappears, right? Mm-hmm. And then. Couple years later, this is still in the '60s. Couple years later, uh, he travels. He travels to a different future, where he kind of lives out his life in peace, uh, but then gets discovered again as a time traveler, and he gets kicked out of that future. And then he times travels to an even further future, where basically all of civilization has been destroyed, and it kind of drives him crazy. He puts on like this super futuristic outfit 
And he decides that, like, you know what? I'm going to use this technology to conquer all timelines to avoid this future. Right. And that's when he becomes an Avengers villain. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's always that guy, Nathaniel Richards. That's because then, you know, later on in the 80s, we're introduced to the Council of Kings. There's uh, basically there's all these variants of Kang. But there's always this specific Kang that we follow. Right. We, we follow him. Right. And anything else, it's made very clearly that it's the different Kang. It's a different Kang, right? Mm -hmm. Eventually, eventually, um, the Avengers kidnap the teenage version of Nathaniel, and he becomes Iron Lad. Uh, then there's this other there's this other Kang who becomes like kind of like a rival to Beyonder, who's called um, who's called the I forget what he was called. But there's still Nathaniel Richards, this guy who time traveled, became a pharaoh, time traveled again, got kicked out of that that timeline, went to the far future, went crazy and now became Kang. Right. So that's the guy. And we know his history and we know who he clearly is and we know why he hates the Avengers. It feels like Marvel Disney are like. Any Kang you see might be a different Kang. And I'm like, if I'm just looking at a bunch of different people all played by the same guy, I, I'm not going to develop a connection with him as the new antagonist. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're not. And I'm still choosing to believe that the, the Kang, the Conqueror, the, the the Forsaken one that we saw, he's the, still the same. That's the one we're going to have, I think. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's kind of my big problem with Kang. I know we've been on him for a lot, but that's kind of my big problem. Because that's the point what we're getting at, though, is that that's the only part of this movie worth anything at the end of the day. It's the only, it's, it's not just, well, I wouldn't like saying it's worth anything implies it's the most, in, well, it is the most interesting thing. It, sadly. Is. That's what it, it is the most interesting thing, but it's also kind of the thing where you're like, it's not well developed. It's not well executed, not by any fault of Jonathan majors. It's just, you're like, really, this is how you're going to make King make his big splash. Like it, it, it doesn't, it's not going to work, and this is why I don't think it's going to work because it's like you're using, you're basically saying, you're basically saying, okay, we're not going to tell you who's the main Kang that you should be worried about. We're just going to throw you all these different versions of Kang, and we're not really going to explain what's the big deal with Kang. We're just told, like, we're, it's kind of implied that, like, well, obviously, and Loki, he who remains, talks about how. Here's a here's another funny thing. He who remains is also very like, and I thought this was this was because this was part of his character. He who remains is very like secretive about what variant he is. All we know is that he who remains was not the the king who originally discovered time travel. Mm -hmm. We we know he's not. Well, we don't really know if he was the one who caused the war. We don't even know if he was the one who found that creature who was eating universes. All we know is that he was the one who he was the one who was able to control the creature into eating universes, thereby creating the 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 main timeline, right? mm -hmm. the, the main timeline. Right. And we know he's the last one. That's it. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but at the very least, we had a clear idea of what he was respective to the other variants. And here we're we're led to assume like okay he's the king he's the king we're gonna watch and like you said he may well be but then at the very end we get this curveball where i'm like well shit then what what was what was the point of this if yeah. eventually you gotta eventually you gotta give us a character to develop and to worry about 
for of our favorite heroes fighting. Mm-hmm. If you're just gonna be like, oh, these are all just different variants, I'm like, whatever. But but like you said, it is the most interesting thing. I just don't feel like it was well executed. Now, no, I agree. Now, uh, for the rest of our reviews, which will be significantly shorter because there's not much to say. Yeah. Uh, Let's see, talk I'll, about the rest of the movie. Exactly. Um, I think Paul Rudd it, did a a good job with what he was given. He did just as good as as he's done in the other Ant Man movies. Yeah, my problem is is that, like, did you think his character had an arc? Because I don't think his character had an arc. I think the characters around him had an arc, but he did not. He had this. He had the. Uh, the Doctor Strange problem. He's just kind of reacting. He's just there. It's like, all right. Now, one thing I got to say. They recast the actress that plays his daughter. Well, um, obviously, because Cassie, obviously. five years have passed. Uh, Catherine yeah. Newton plays uh, Cassie now. Yes. Um, now, Catherine Newton, she is a really good actress, up and coming, who was in a movie that Al and I both thoroughly enjoyed, which was Freaky. And she nailed the role and actually made me interested to see the potential of her being in this movie because she was we've seen her play basically two different two very different characters if that makes sense because freaky it's a mind switch moment but that's still the same actress so it's like okay you know what i see why this is a good choice she's a good choice for this character in the multiverse world maybe there's something here we know she's very able to play different versions of herself so to speak they really didn't give her much with this and they they i I don't know if you agree with me so in the in the first two ant-man in the first two ant-man movies cassie is this girl who's very sweet but has this weird quirk that she really likes ugly things that's Mm -hmm. like her her thing she likes ugly things that's a very simple thing but it's a very creative thing to well not creative a lot of People it's, have done out the kid who fun. like the kid who likes ugly things. It's been done yeah. before, but you know it was it was a little flair to give her character, which is usually like, oh, I'm just there to to be threatened to kidnapped. Um, <laughs> you know, but he, yeah. I mean, what, what more no, can you? No, ex- it, it's like it's kidnap fodder. Yeah, yeah, she's much. kidnap fodder. But you know, it's you know what what can you expect? This is a movie about her dad, not about her. Mm-hmm. And they got rid of and you know. Cassie's also happy-go-lucky. She really loves her dad. Um, oh, they she, annihilated she really, this. That, she really yeah. loves. She really loves that he's Ant-Man. Blah blah blah. She thinks that he's a hero. And then when we get introduced to Cassie, it's like a totally different person. Now I understand. Five years had passed. He wasn't around for five years. Um, he, uh, he, uh, he. They thought he was dusted along with everybody else. Mm-hmm. But, you know. Like she, she just becomes this like standard rebellious teen who's who, like hey, here's the weird thing, right? It's she becomes like a, a rebellious, mischievous teen who cares about the quote unquote issues, right? Mm-hmm. But which this, they're super vague about, kind yeah, of. because this is a Disney Marvel movie, yeah, in an alternate timeline universe that's not ours anymore, even in the slightest. So, so. Obviously, like you, you at first think like, oh, they they're gonna make commentary about the homeless situation in America. Okay, whatever. If they wanna, if they wanna make, if they wanna talk about that, it's their movie. Fine, whatever. It gets mentioned once, 
but, but they mention it here in the in the vein of like, oh, there are a lot more homeless people because people came bl- back after the blip. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, fine. It gets brought up for half of a scene and then dropped. Yeah. And then it's just this thing of like her going like, I want to help people. And it's like, okay, why? <laughs> like, like she gets sucked into the quantum realm. They find out that Kang basically turned the quantum realm into his own little empire. And she goes like, oh, these displaced quantum realm people, we need to help them. And that's pretty much it. You know, mm-hmm. just this kid who wants to help people. No elaboration as to why. She doesn't even get a scene where 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 we can like empathize with her wanting to help these people. She just goes like they tell they just tell they just tell uh, Paul Rudd and her or, or Ant-Man and her like, yeah, Kang took our home. And then she goes, Dad, we should help these people. And that's that's pretty much all that amounts to her character development, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then she magically, you know, and, and we have this moment where she's like, where she's like, oh, I don't respect my dad anymore. But again, that's like half a scene and it gets dropped. And then you know, mm-hmm. it's basically this thing like, Dad, oh, you're alive, Cassie, you're alive. Oh, wow, Cassie, you have a you have a suit. Yeah, I have a suit. And it's it's like listen, I get it. They want to they want to they want to eventually lead to Young Avengers. Cassie Lang plays stature in uh, Young Avengers, mm-hmm. um, but like Jesus, it's <laughs> like you almost <sighs> honestly they could have written her out. Have it that just uh, Scott goes into the quantum realm because Hope went into the quantum realm because her parents got sucked into the quantum realm because again he loves hope mm-hmm. you Cassie didn't need to be in this it doesn't like like it, it just because the okay so the trailer makes it seem the trailer implies that Scott is going to work with Kang and Kang is gonna give Scott the five years he missed with with Cassie that's what mm-hmm. the trailer implies that's why I played this trailer mm-hmm. right? And in the in the movie proper, it's literally just you're gonna do as I say, or I'm gonna kill your loved ones. That okay. was the annoying thing too. It's like, oh, it would have been more interesting if it, like he convinced Ant Man, I can give you something that that you and, and it, it establishes something that, truly amazing. And it is and it would establish that Kang is Kang is a very charismatic guy. Who doesn't always use force to get what he wants? Yeah, but then all of a sudden he's like, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill your daughter." And you're like, "Okay, so that that takes away chance to develop Scott as a character. That takes away a chance to develop uh, Kang, Kang as a character. Yeah. Kang as a character, and that that you know that takes away a chance for Cassie to react to the fact that her dad is working with the bad guy because he just wants that time he missed with her back, which mm-hmm. again ties into the big thematic thing, which. Ultimately, Scott is a is a dad who wants to do right by his by his kid, right? Mm-hmm. That's always been the main focus of the first two, and in this one, it's supposedly still the focus. But it just expresses mm-hmm. like, oh, Cassie got sucked into the quantum realm. I'm going after her, and I just want to get her out of there. It's like, yeah. it's like, dude, that it, it's it's so much weirdly. It's so thematically shallow compared to the first two. It's just, uh, yeah, it's just it is. And oh my god, Hope, Janet. And Hank, I am convinced, I am convinced that they wrote in the whole 
the whole plot line of Hank communicating with ants over an earpiece because Michael Douglas was like, I'm not going to learn these lines. I'll be, I'll be, in the, I'll be, <laughs> I'm, in not the gonna movie. I'm not going to learn these lines. I'll be in the movie, but you read me the lines. I am doing the absolute bare minimum of work here. I'll fly, I'll fly down to, to Atlanta. I'll, I'll stand in front of a green screen, but don't yeah. expect me to learn my lines. Don't expect me to offer to be in more scenes. And I want an earpiece. And they were like, shit, how do we justify the very obvious earpiece? Uh, yeah. uh, oh, oh, uh, Michael, we wrote here that that Hank has been talking to ants that also got sucked into the quantum realm. All right, fine, but it, just as long as I have my earpiece. Yeah. That That's that's exactly what I think happened with Michael Douglas. And listen, I respect yeah. Michael Douglas. I think he's, oh, he's of, a legend. He's great. He's a, he's a living legend. But he did not give a fuck. No, he could have cared less. See, yeah, because you can actually tell for the first Ant Man and for the first two, he was having a good time, especially for the first one. Yeah, but but this, I, I, I just, think, mm. I think what it was was that uh, End Game, like he just looks around and goes like, "Oh, is this what this this stuff's gonna be now?" Uh. I think so, I'm out. He's like, I'm I think out. I, I think I'm out. And then his agent told him, sir, uh, uh, Michael, you, you have one more picture on the contract you signed. And he's like, I don't want to do it. He's like, no, My- Michael, y- you have to do it. And then, and then he goes like, it's going to be that God awful green screen shit. I did in Atlanta. It's like, yeah, just, just, you know, make Michael, some demands. Michael, I'm sure they'll meet him. Here's what I was like. I would have been like, Michael, you already bought the house. So <laughs> you have to now. You have no choice. You already and, bought and, the seventh house. And, and Catherine Zeta-Jones just goes like, honey, you know, it's just one more movie. It can't hurt. It goes like, yeah, well, at least you get a Netflix show now. <laughs> um, Damn. Yeah. Listen, Michelle Michelle Pfeiffer, she's obviously, of, of those three, she's given... Honestly, out of that entire Ant-Man cast, after so, so Paul Rudd has Scott basically reacting to everything. Mm. Really and truly, the only one who gets like some development and some insight into their character is is uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Janet Van Dyne, mm-hmm. because you know she was the first one to meet Kang and all this stuff. The only problem I have with her is that basically. <laughs> Basically, for the first act and a half of the movie, she just refuses to explain why she doesn't want to be in the quantum for realm. no reason. For no tell, reason. Tell them. Tell them. Oh yeah. By the way, there's this like crazy mad got time god in there, and if we go down there, he's gonna get out and reset trillions of lives. Then, in if it's the Marvel universe, it'd be like, oh, okay, let's not open that. Like great, you know. This is what I think happened. Was that was that after during the writing process, uh, mm-hmm. Jeff Loveness was like, was like, wait. He went to Feige and was like, "Hey, Kevin, um, it makes no sense that Janet never brought up Kang at any moment in in Ant Man and the Wasp or Endgame. Like, never brings him up." And then the first chance she gets, she brings them up here that people are going to be like, wait, that makes no sense. And they just thought about like, okay, how about, how about she just refuses to talk about it? That's why she never mentioned it. Oh yeah, that works. That's, that's what I think happened. They're like, oh fuck, wait a minute. Because again, yeah, 
they basically are like, like guys, if you're wondering why she never mentioned it in Ant-Man of the Wasp or Endgame, it's literally because she just doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. But, you know, when she finally does talk about it, it gives you incredible insight into the, like, she actually gets those character beats I was expecting for Scott, where she's like, I really, really felt guilty for missing all those years I didn't have you, Hope. And that's why I helped Kang when I when I helped him. And I, I, I'm also really afraid of him because I've seen the horrible things he can do. She had interesting stuff. It, it just was like... It, it, it just was that thing of like... Of but like, now she has such a weird connection to like the big bad of the Avengers. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. Like you're, again, this is the thing you brought up with uh, the fact that it's Ant-Man. It's not like it's not like this random, admittedly side character has a giant connection to the big bad. That's like if we learned that Aunt May... like was roommates with Thanos for like four years. No, okay. You know what it, I mean? It, it's like, it, wait a minute. It, it, How? It'd be more like if, because, uh, if, um, who was, because uh, you got to remember, yeah. Gamora is Thanos's daughter. Yes. But, but this would, but that, that's in the comics. This would be kind of if, if, uh, Pepper Potts was like new Thanos. Oh, or, or I'm just going to be, I'm just going to kind of just, to try to somewhat make it logical, this would be uh, this would be like if if uh, if um, uh, God, I'm I'm oh okay, I got it, I got it. Th- this would be if if Captain Marvel, like if Captain Marvel met Thanos before he went crazy, and and didn't realize it. And then was was the one who made him go crazy. You'd be <laughs> like, wait, what? That makes no sense. But but you know, it is what it is. It's just again, she has interesting development. Like hope, Jesus. Like like you have Evangeline Lily. You told you tell her when you cast her in Ant Man that hey, uh, you're gonna be the MCU Wasp. You know, and she's like, okay, I'll sign on. And all all she does in this movie. Is literally ask Michelle Pfeiffer, Mom, talk to me. Mom, talk to me. Mom, then, talk to me. And then, I'm so sorry I made you talk to me. Like, once she talks. It's like, uh, uh, like, okay, I guess. I feel like she had, she obviously had more to do in Ant Man and the Wasp in the second one. Um, she technically has more to do than she did in the first Ant Man, but, but still, it's like, like her but she was utilized way better in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like that was a really cool dynamic duo that yeah. we saw in and, that movie. Yeah. Um and you know, something else I wanted to mention is that I also think this movie hurts the Ant-Man franchise if you can call it that or you know, the Ant-Man segment of the MCU because we don't have his crew which was Oh yeah, where'd they go? Well, well, Damien Dashman played the voice the alien that pink alien with no holes okay yeah he was the guy who played the russian dude in the previous two movies yes um but yeah no his his crew's gone there's no louise like yeah if you were expecting a louise cameo there's no louise and, and like that people loved the louise moments like but we yeah, didn't get them it, it's that thing where you're where you go like okay they wouldn't be in the quantum realm i get that but some like something that was like ant-man's little flair is that he had a very funny crew with him yeah, and when they're gone, because they're like, well, this isn't a heist movie. And I'm like, yeah, but 
you took away something that made people enjoy the Ant-Man movies and you didn't really replace it with anything. They, they, yeah. they, they tried to replace it with like these crazy looking. That's what was weird. I was like, I, okay, I have to admit something always felt like it was missing other than misplaced. And I realized yeah, he didn't have his crew at all. Not even like a little moment with them. Yeah. Uh, there's a cameo. There's there's a cameo of a character that appeared in the previous two movies, but it's not his crew. Uh, yeah. And they basically, in place of the crew, they have these crazy like quantum realm residents that have no connection whatsoever with Scott or or his uh, or or his, or the the Pims. But I don't, I, I don't know. It just it just didn't feel right. Like like they they have um. William Jackson Harper, who people would know from The Good Place, as this this guy named Quaz who reads minds. They have uh, this this actress, uh, this actress Kathy M. Brian as Gentora, um, and obviously David Dasmalchian as Veb, who who is the only guy who returns from the crew, but obviously he's voicing a different character. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're they're. They have no connection with with Scott and his and his daughter or the Pims, so you're just kind of like, oh, whatever. If you guys die, you die. Like like one of them dies, and you're kind of like, okay. You could whatever. have cared less. You could have cared less. Um, you couldn't care less. Yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, on that note, do we want to give our final? The the the, the last thing I'll the last thing I'll say is yes. that um, there's a character in here that's CGI generated. And the CGI in this, some of it is really good. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's some characters like the Veb character is really well rendered. Whew, but those, some of, but those opening creatures we saw in that first scene, they were rough. Dude, dude, the ants were rough. Mm-hmm. Ants were rough. Some of the some of the wide vista shots were really rough. Where you're like, oh, this is a video game. Mm-hmm. Um, then you had moments where like where you get like these closer shots to the characters walking through like this forest where you're like oh that's really well done that was almost like avatar levels good mm-hmm. and then you get this one set piece that takes place in kind of like this this time crystal thing Oof. yeah it's bad like it, it's in, and it's in the trailer where you see Scott like looking at like various versions of himself. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like. I don't know like when when you have like multiple versions of yourself. You usually what it is is that you know you have them on the set, and then you mark the 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 multiple versions where they would be. And um and that's kind of how you do it, and then you just have the actor act it out with like a stand-in. And then you composite both both versions with each other, and that's kind of how you get like the same actor talking to himself. This has been done since the '90s, right? I don't know what the fuck happened. That <laughs> that just having multiple Paul Rudds, I was like, okay, that's 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 Paul Rudd. That's the worst CGI rendering of Paul Rudd I've seen. That's Paul Rudd with the worst CGI render of his costume that I've seen. Ooh, it was rough. Like at, at some points you were like, this is even worse than in a video game. And and that was just the thing. The inconsistent levels of CGI was sh- surprising. And then I did some research and I find out that, and th- this is frankly sourced from anonymous sources, 
that apparently Marvel and Disney dictated that a lot of the resources Quantum Mania had for for post production were told to work on were told to work on Wakanda Forever instead. And that, mm. that, that really hurt like the workflow and the morale of the of the artists. Because they're like, oh shit. Like now there's only like half or a third of us doing this. So you know, I, I feel bad for those guys. Like, like already there's, there's like this reckoning happening amongst VFX artists and this, this whole scenario, this whole fiasco, if it indeed is what happened, it's just going to add fuel to the fire. I couldn't agree more. And that's disheartening to be told. Disney, Disney always has like an A movie and a B movie, just how they work. Sometimes they even have a C movie, but to then take something from one movie and just say, no, now you all go over here. That is disheartening for, for any kind of crew. Yeah. So do you have anything to say about the CGI? Um, my, it was very disconcerting when you'd get blends of really good moments and really bad moments. A good example is the, the scene where they're at the restaurant slash bar in the, in the quantum mm-hmm. realm. You're sitting there, and already, I was, let me just be clear, I was really annoyed by the scene. Because it's like, this is bad Star Wars. Great. Thanks. I hate it. Oh, um, by the way, yeah. in that scene, and the, again, this is in the trailer, we get the only scene with Bill Murray. Yeah. Like, the CGI, the, the VisFX was so mediocre that I could tell, like, oh, yeah, Bill Murray definitely was not on set when everyone else was on set. No, he wasn't. He was not on set with everyone so else. In, in some, in, listen, and I know that because of COVID, a lot, in a lot of productions, in Warner Brothers, Disney, Universal... They did this thing where like actors would kind of shoot scenes on their own and then it would all be spliced in post productions. In some of it it's seamless. Like there's some there's some uh, I think in No Way Home it's pretty seamless and only got really, really obvious like during like the last half of the third act climax that I was like, Oh, these these people aren't talking to each other on set, they were on different sets. And then there are other times where it's like, Woof, that's just bad. Like it was in um well, this didn't happen during the pandemic, but uh, in Fate of the Furious, uh, they had to splice Vin Diesel and The Rock together, like even though they were not on set at the same time because they hated each other. And oof, you're like, oh my god, that is horrible compositing. And in this one, like the compositing was so obvious, I was like, oh, Bill Murray wasn't on set with these people because the like his vibe and the vibe with the other actors it was like so not meshing. And that only happens when the actor has no idea how the others are going to act. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, my, you basically summed it up. Yeah, my issue was that the whole composite of that scene was really weird and bad. But what was really more strange was the fact that certain characters in the bar and slash restaurant, they were well composited and then others weren't. And then you had a few live actors as well. So, it just looked weird. You're like, wait... I don't know what I'm looking at, but something's off. Like, why does the bartender look really good, and then the the diner, the people eating food, look really bad? Except for a few of the people eating food are clearly real people. So then you're like, wait a minute, what? And it was just all a mess. Well, otherwise, I think the only thing I have to say is, I really didn't like the opening and closing of this movie. The whole, and it's it's the way the trailer opens too. It's like. I'm here walking down, ba 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 ba, and now I did this, and now I did that. But what if this happens? It's like that's your bookend, 
Really? Like you really? Know, that's you know your bookend? You know what? You know what's weird about that bookend too, is that at first I was like, okay, this is this might have been something that was like reshot. Also, late. for the record, the ending would have been they had the perfect ending scene where they're like they're about to stay behind and then they get to go home, and she says he goes want to go home and he says yeah she says yeah home sounds good and then it cuts. If they'd ended it there and then you get the post credit scene, that would have been a much better ending. Because it's like, you know that they're, they've worked it out. Do you, do you think... Okay, okay. So, I'm convinced, because I was like, oh, this whole movie is about this happening to Ant-Man and the Wasp. That's interesting. That's a little repetitive, because it kind of is what happened at the end of, of their second movie. Except now the Wasp is kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm convinced that they were like, oh, this is a great ending. Someone complained of like, well, didn't we kind of already do that at the end of the Ant-Man and the Wasp? And they're like, oh, shit, you're right. We, we need to change it. And they added this bookend. Mm. And the, the bookend is obviously shot like months later because uh, Evangeline Lilly has a totally di- like like I not know, just a totally different haircut. It's, it's dyed. It's, it's, it's dyed and has roots. And what's funny is I think they just decide to be like, fuck it. We can't do anything about it. Hope always has a different haircut in every movie. Whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll just lean into it, and I'm like, okay, whatever. But in regards to the first, to, to the first intro where he's just walking around doing things, I I guess because, you know, Paul Rudd's kind of not being. I mean, he's still Paul Rudd, but you you know he's not doing that funny man charm thing when he's in the quantum realm because you mm. know he's trying to save his kid. Mm. I feel like they were like, oh, we still need to have Paul Rudd doing the Paul Rudd things. So let's add this intro before they get sent into the quantum realm. That reminds me. This mo- so you know how a lot of Marvel movies have those funny moments and usually and about half the time they're funny, half the time they're not. You yeah. know what I'm talking about? Yeah. This movie was packed full of those quote-unquote funny moments, but so few of them were actually funny, which just added to this movie being way more awkward. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were like they're like, "You know what? We we need to have like just a full on montage of Paul Rudd doing Paul Ruddisms in order to bring that ratio of funny to not funny closer to 50, 50, at least that's my theory. I I could be totally off base, but yeah, it it just felt like as that scene was playing out, I'm like, they literally have this just so that Paul Rudd can be Paul Rudd with Evangeline Lilly. He can be Paul Rudd with this cafe owner. He can be Paul Rudd to these kids reading his book because it, it really felt like it really did feel like, Oh, Paul Rudd's is kind of not doing his shtick in Quantum Realm. What should we do? Uh, let's come up with this thing where he has a book. Because, you know, that's just something that a Paul Rudd character would totally do. Write a book. Um, and read it, uh, read it himself to kids. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, because it kind of doesn't lead to anything. Like, the, like, it leads to, like, a joke in the third act. Or, like, right before the third act, and that's about it. Like, nothing about it is setting up his character, right? It basically goes, like, at the end of his book, he goes, like, oh, I love my daughter so much. And it's like, yeah, dude, that's kind of been your through line for the past two movies. What's this whole What's this whole montage supposed to allude to or lead to? And it really just doesn't lead to anything. It, I felt like they just had it there because they needed Paul Rudd to do his charm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So uh, I guess let's get on to our ratings. Yep. Al, would you like to go first? No, you can go first. All righty. I give this uh, 
Meh the Conqueror. Um, it's a meh Marvel movie that's got a really great interpretation of a villain. Where it's like, you walk out and that's really the only thing you think about. There's still so many meh problems. That's why I don't even say Kang. It's like, meh. Like, they didn't really utilize Kang that well. But you still think about him because, man, Jonathan Majors had... And one thing I want to add, uh, he had such subtlety with that performance. Which you don't... Which I know they always hire the better actors for the villains, and I understand why. But... All of his scenes were good, so therefore, that was the that was the triumph of this movie. So yeah, Meh the Conqueror. What do you give it? Meh the Conqueror is so creative, um, more creative than a lot of stuff in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, a side note, I will say with Jonathan Majors on his performance, two moments. One, his opening scene, the flashback scene. It was a really good scene. I liked it a lot. You mean the um, first flashback or the or the or the, the longer action- one? Okay, the okay. actual one. That one was really good. I'm like, oh, this is really good. Um, but then the reveal was not well done. The other moment that I really like, and it's very subtle, but when Jonathan Majors as Kang is like shooting his electric fireballs or whatever and killing people, the rage that he expresses is such a great moment. And it's very subtle because all the other villains you see, they like release their powers and they give off this, oh, I'm better than you moment whenever they give off their powers or they laugh maniacally and plenty of them make it work. But with Kang, it's like this sheer force of will that he has to hold tight and release. And it's like a very intense thing. And it's like, I realized what he probably did is he literally imagined what would it be like to actually feel this pass through my body. And he actually emulates it very well. Uh, which that's, is a, a subtle a, moment, but it's very good. That's a really good point. Uh, I'm not going to be creative because this movie wasn't being creative, so I'm just giving it a straight up. It's a meh. It's it's. Jonathan Majors is giving a really interesting performance, but his characterization is just so intentionally vague and opaque mm-hmm. that I couldn't connect with Kang. Not because of lack of trying from Jonathan Majors, but because you literally felt that the story of the movie, the way the movie was presenting the character, was intentionally trying to make sure to keep Kang as arm, at arm's length away from me as possible. And I don't appreciate that, because this is your new big bad. Uh, I, I'm not asking to learn his, the psychology of how he thinks. Like Obviously, that's going to be for the big Avengers movie to do, like Infinity War was for Than- Thanos. But, like, good lord, at least because you're dealing with, you know, time, multiverse, and variance, at least try to give me some sort of anchor so that I know what Kang I'm dealing with. And the movie refused to do that because it's like, no, we don't want to we don't want to talk about we don't want to reveal that yet. I don't know why, because if you still don't know. Who's the bad guy? What's the bad guy's in? What's the bad guy's goals? Who does he think is getting in the place of his goals or getting in the way of his goals? You know, then you're just gonna be like, okay, there's gonna be this. There's gonna be a bad guy played by this actor, but that's all I know. And I don't know. That's just frustrating. Listen, Paul Rudd. I always appreciated Paul Rudd being cast as Scott because I thought, okay. I know exactly what type of hero they're going for, and Paul Rudd will, is a very underrated choice to do that. And it just feels like he's 
he's out of his element doing this because it's just like, oh, I just have to worry about my kid. And the rest of the casts are almost non-existent. They're, they're just there to be there, which is crazy because Evangeline Lilly, her character's name is on the title. And all her she's there to do is to be like, Mom, talk to me. Mom, talk to me. Oh, Mom, I'm sorry I asked you to talk to me. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, and it's a shame. Catherine Newton, like, Catherine Newton is a fine actress. I've seen her do really good in Freaky. And here as Cassie, she's just... Like she's just written as like a teenager who's like, we got to help people, but we never get insight as to why she wants to help people. Um, the CGI, like averaged out, the CGI is mediocre. Um, there's one character in here that is a surprise character. Uh, it's a surprise for the audience. <laughs> I got to say, if if anyone, so so that character is brought up and even the writer was like, yeah, this character is meant to be a joke, you know, because he's kind of a joke in the comics. That's fine and all. But when it literally looks like someone went and took this actor's face in Photoshop and just stretched it out. It looks so bad. It's bad. And all people, people aren't talking about like, oh, that character is a joke character. People were talking about like, oh, my God, how they visualized that character was so bad. And I really feel bad for the actor who was stuck in that role because... He, he, I've seen him in other things and he's really good. He's a really good actor. He's a, he, his breakout moment for me is he plays a really important early character in House of Cards and he does a fantastic job. Yeah. And, and in here, they kind of use him as a joke. That's fine. I, I have no problem with that. I just have like, God, the CGI is so. Bad. I kept I kept saying put the mask back on. It's like yeah, it looked, it looked better. Yeah, yeah, it's so bad. And I don't know if that that was to kind of reinforce the fact that this character is a joke. But it's like okay, you can make him a joke, but when you make him look this cheap and this bad, I'm like, why is he here? So, so yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's uh, our review of Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantum Mania. Quantum Mania. Yeah. I think this has been one of our longer reviews where all we kind of do is complain. <laughs> yeah, we just had to get it out. Um, yeah. all but right, listen, well, till next time, folks. This is What Do You Think I'm Al. And I'm C. Isn't it great when we have an episode where we're not like awkwardly trying to figure out how to put in the guest host in the, in the end credits? What was that? I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. no, no, no. It's just, it's just, we really do need to figure out how to end these episodes we have with guest hosts. Because yeah. we always leave them hanging. And they're like, uh, and I'm like, oh yeah, hold on. <laughs> it's like, I'm out, I'm C. And then it's like, and go F yourself. <laughs> yeah. All right. all right, all right. Take care, everybody. Good night, everybody.